Hello, my name's Andre Longley. I'm the editor of The Hammond High. Each week on this podcast, we'll be bringing you an interview with a guest with strong links to North London, where we'll discuss their lives, careers and love of the area. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe, like and leave a glowing review wherever you get your podcasts. This week, our guest is Michelle Collins, who shot to fame as Cindy in EastEnders and has had a long and successful career on stage and screen. Michelle has lived all around North London and does a lot in the community, including acting as patron for the Alexandra Wiley Tower Foundation. During the pandemic, she's launched a project to help young people working in the arts whose livelihoods have been put at risk. It was a lot of fun to talk to Michelle, and I hope you enjoy it. So, Michelle Collins, thanks so much for joining us on the Hammond High podcast. Um, You're welcome. Hello. Hello. How are you? How are you keeping? How's lockdown been? Um, it's a strange one because we're sort of um, we're coming out of it now, aren't we? I mean, the, the, we're doing this podcast on Friday, and tomorrow, Saturday, is the big day, isn't it? When um, lots and lots of places open, and it's all. I mean, I. I, I sort of preferred lockdown when it was lockdown. I felt, I don't know, I sort of had a, I, I feel we had a bit of a safety net. I don't know what it was. And, and you, you know, and now it's like, I just don't quite know where I am. I'm a bit up and down. I felt much more secure in lockdown. Does that sound very strange? Oh, uh, I think, I think I know what you mean. I, when it was really lockdown, I could say, actually, I'm not doing anything. I'm just going to read a book or watch and, this series. Yeah. And, and you knew everybody else was, was doing the same thing. There was no FOMO. There was no FOMO. And also the fact I think is that a lot of people are going back to work. And obviously I won't be going back to work and I probably won't be going back to work for a while. And that makes me feel a bit sad and a bit anxious. Um, you know, like most people in my profession. Yeah, I mean, with equity, you launched a scheme, didn't you, to, to help workers in the industry. How's that going? Yeah. Yeah, it's gone really well. So I just sort of, I mean, I knew, or I mean, everyone's talking about it now about, you know, the, the devastating effects that the virus is going to have on, on our industry in particular. Um, and I was um, a week into rehearsal, I was doing the birthday party at Harold Pinter play, which was the big national tour. And um, literally the second week on the Monday evening, we got an email saying, basically, that's it. Don't come in, you know, tours cancelled, whatever. So that would have been... So um, is that done for good or is that going to come back yeah, no, after? They, they are talking about possibly next spring, but, you know, nothing is... is Obviously, mm. no, everything is, is up in the air at the moment. And I was also doing... And I would have finished that tour last week. Um, yeah, and, and, and it was a great role. I was really excited about it. And I was also doing the Edinburgh Festival. I'd, um, I had a one-woman show and I've never done Edinburgh before. I've I visited as a you know, as a, as, a, as a punter, but I was really so excited about that. And we had the Gilded Balloon and so that's gone. And we, we've now sort of, we now booked in for next year, which seems a very long way away. Um, so it sort of prompted me, I'm, I, you know, I, I knew this was going to happen. And I suddenly in lockdown thought, and I was being very good. I was doing lots of cooking on Instagram and looking after my mum, doing her shopping and I was delivering for food banks. And and then I just thought, what can I do? And I remember seeing Julie Waters on um, on Twitter um, doing um, a, a bit of a fundraiser for Equity's Actors Benevolent Fund. And I thought, okay, I'm going to ring up Equity, rung up Equity, spoke to them and said, you know, what what's happening? What are you doing? I'm thinking of, of, um, of, of launching something. And they said, yeah, that'd be amazing. You know, let us know what you're going to do. And then I had the idea of doing monologues. 
um, sort of before people were really doing monologues. I mean, now there's saturation, I think, isn't there? You know, because obviously <laughs> monologues is one of the only things you can probably do on your own at home. It's had a huge so, comeback, hasn't it, as an art form? It's, yeah. It's oh, the God, year yeah. of the monologue. So to cut a long story short, I phoned around and within about four days, I had Ian McKellen, Derek Jacobi, Leslie Manville, Sue Johnston, Leighton Williams, Miriam Teatley, Miriam Margulies. I had about 50 actors all on board saying that they would do, they would perform a monologue in their own home. And then I got a, um, a friend of mine who runs a company called Genesis Pictures and said, look, will you help me? Because it's getting really big. I can't do this on my own. So they came on board. And, um, and within two weeks, I think we launched it. And um, so it's, it's um, obviously I'm doing it with Equity as well. And Equity um, have an Actors Benevolent Fund anyway, but they, during this, the crisis, they obviously saw that um, actors, performers were in real financial need. And they launched, um, they donated a million pounds into the fund and they were finding that it was really dwindling. And, and so what they offer is a 400 pound maximum cash handout to people in need um, during the crisis. And they found, you know, that it, there was a, a massive um, need for it. So we raised, we put them all online on YouTube and we did a big campaign. I did lots of TV and lots of editorials and we've raised 34,000 just through the, um, and I've called it amazing. hashtag. Yeah, I called it Flower, which is for the love of arts. And, and it's still ongoing. But, um, you know, I think there are so many people out there just wanting money. And, and now, obviously, you know, Cameron McIntosh announced that he wasn't going back to next April. So many theatres are closing. It, it's really, it's quite hard to be positive about my industry at the moment. It's really, really tough for everybody, I think. And also, in particular, what worried me were, were the regional theatres you know, that really rely on the big tours coming in. Or, and also these regional theatres are a real hub for the community. They're, they're not just, you know, they don't just put on productions. They have youth theatres, they have dementia-friendly cafes, that sort of thing. You know, mother and baby, they're educational. Um, so that's what's going to be really devastating. And I think a lot of those are going to close. Yeah, and I think it's a danger. I mean, I've worked on papers in, in Surrey and in Devon before, and yeah. the, these theatres that have tours on, a lot of them rely on council funding, but Absolutely. as propping them up already. But once yeah. you've lost the commercial stuff, and, and now it's I difficult. think, um, and I was waiting for Panto, because Panto I do every year, well, mostly every year, and I really love it. I love it, it's such fun. And you sort of rely on it, and, it doesn't, and I don't think that's going to happen either. That's going to go and that's going to affect those regionals really badly because they also rely on that. You know, their Christmas show is propping up the rest of the year. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. I mean, we'll fit. Sorry, for, for any uh, listeners, we'll, we'll put the link up to the, um, to the, to the page yeah. with the monologues. And they're certainly really worth checking out. There's some, there's, it's quite strange that lots of them are quite intense, I think, because the actors yeah. have said, right, I'm really going to put myself into this. But also you're kind of seeing them recording it in their study or under the stairs or yeah. it's quite a bizarre thing. But there are some remarkable which, performances. Which makes them much more intimate, you know, doesn't it? And I think that they're all very personable. And I'm actually getting a book together um, as well about obviously putting the monologues in it. Because I think it's really interesting, particularly for actors who, who want... Um, to find monologues because I've got such a diverse cross-section of monologues. They'd be great for audition pieces, but just to find out why people chose those pieces. And I also got a group of writers and put those writers um, in, in with the, the actors. So 
Tony Grounds, who's an old friend of mine. Um, he's he's got our girl on TV at the moment, but he's done lots and lots of things. I you know I put him in touch with Ian McKellen, and he wrote Ian's um, monologue, uh, which was fantastic actually. I think it's called Herbie. But so you know, and also actors need you're not an actor if you're not acting. So it, it's kept you know we needed something to keep us doing something during that really strict lockdown, I think. But in a way, I think now is going to be harder because people are now thinking, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? The future looks a bit bleak. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, there's only so much TV work and things out there. The last stage show I saw before lockdown was Endgame at the Old Vic with oh, okay, uh, yeah. Daniel Radcliffe. Daniel Radcliffe, yeah. Yeah, which it was, and Alan Cummings, who I, I, I love. Yeah. And it's a yeah, really, really good show, but kind of strangely appropriate. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. within a few weeks, suddenly we're in this strange new yeah. virus world. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned before to, to getting involved in doing deliveries in the area and things. So, so you're, uh, you were born in Hackney, but you've lived right across North London. So across the, the, the Hammondized yeah. patches of various points. And I know you're, you're, you're kind of towards East Finchley way these days, aren't you? Yeah. Um, yeah. How have you found the communities? Uh, oh gosh. I mean, I love my, I love this um, area, this community, you know, I've lived in Muswell Hill um, for a look, um, for about 18 years or something. My daughter went to school in Highgate. So um, yeah, it's, it's a brilliant, because a lot of people, you know, out of London, particularly go, oh, London, you know, oh, it must be awful living in London. People are so unfriendly. And actually it's not. If you've, you know, I love this community. And also I found, I'm sure like a lot of people that they're, you know, my neighborhood really came together during lockdown. You know, we ended up having a WhatsApp group and everybody helped each other. And also, you know, the, um, the Clap for Carers really helped with communities, I think, getting to know people. And so when I was doing the collecting for the food bank, you know, I did a big sort of WhatsApp group and I used to have, you know, food piled high on my doorstep and none of it got stolen. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, and people were amazing. They were really, really fantastic. Um, I'm really, really generous. So I've been really lucky. So yeah, I was born in Homerton Hospital, which is still there uh, in Hackney. Then I lived in Highbury, um, I lived in Holloway, I lived on the Caledonian Road, um, and then I've lived in, I've lived in Highgate, I've lived in Hampstead, I've lived in West Hampstead, um, I've lived in Kilburn, and then I moved over to Earls Court, Clapham, Wandsworth for a while, then I moved back um, sort of north to Muswell Hill, and so I've been very much a sort of North London girl, really, I think. It certainly sounds like it. I mean, as you say, there are, I think, people outside London don't realise that there are tight communities within. Oh, very can, much so. When, when, we, when we talk about Highgate Village or Hampstead Village, they really are yeah. villages. They're just villages yeah. that are well connected to other areas of... Yeah, of, and sort of East Finchley Village is sort of a bit of an overspill of Highgate, of, of Muswell Hill, I think, really. And mm. we've got like Cherry Tree Wood, which sort of literally goes into Highgate and sort of brings it all all together. And no, I, you know, and I do love Islington, of course. I mean, I went to um, the Mouthview Theatre, used to be in Crouch End when I was a kid and I went oh, okay. to the um, youth theatre when I was 12 or 13. It was on Crouch Hill. I mean, and then Mountview, I think, moved to Wood Green, didn't it? To where the chocolate factory is. And now Mountview Theatre School is in Peckham. Um, then I went to the Cockpit Youth Theatre in Marylebone. Uh, but that's not North London, so we can't really talk about that. Oh, it is, it's <laughs> North West, isn't it? I suppose, Marylebone. It's, uh, it's fine, we, we don't need to be that tough with it, it's yeah. fine. <laughs> it's Listen Grove. Um, so um, and I used to go down Chapel Street Market when I was a kid with my mum every Sunday. Um, you know, I've always had um, Saturday jobs in, in the area. I worked in McDonald's in Kentish Town. 
for 90 pence an hour when I was 16. I went to Kingsway Princeton College, um, which is in King's Cross, when I was 16 to, to 18 uh, to do drama. Um, so yeah, I pretty much stayed in North London, really. Yeah, you had a real attachment to the area. Whereabouts were you in the 90s when, I think it's probably fair to say that as Cindy in EastEnders, you yeah. were exceptionally recognisable everywhere. Yeah, well, funnily enough, I was in West London. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, it used to take me like an hour and a half to, to get across London. But um, I bought my first flat because um, I lived in Labrook Grove for quite a while and I got to really like that area. And so I bought my first flat in Earl's Court. Ah, and okay. I always remember when I used to um, go to EastEnders, I used to have a personal trainer who I'd meet in Hyde Park in the morning at like 6.30, do a workout and then drive the rest of the way to Boreham Wood. I mean... Gosh. What on earth was I thinking? <laughs> well, you don't sound much less busy now. But <laughs> yeah, I was young. But um, how how did you find the, the fame? I mean, being so recognisable. Um, I suppose you know I was twenty six when I went into EastEnders, and I and I was a jobbing actress. I had been, I was on TV, and in, in a and I did a sitcom for a, a a couple of series of a sitcom. I'd done a couple of films. You know, I was a jobbing actor that wasn't. So it wasn't a big shock to me to be on TV, but I think being in EastEnders was a bit of a shock. I mean, I remember the very first day I went, I went, went for my audition and met Julia Smith, you know, iconic, prolific producer, director of EastEnders, one of the first female directors actually on, in this country, on TV. And she said, um, you know, this is going to change your life, don't you? And I was like, you know, thinking, of course, yeah. Yes, of course I do, of course I do. But I don't think I knew to the effect that it would, you know, to what effect it did, it would change my life. And I think after being on screen for about a week, I suddenly started getting tons and tons of fan mail and suddenly, and in those days, it was only twice a week. We were getting 19, 20 million. So, yeah, my... Uh, and let's say those figures again, because it's so different to what it is yeah, now. 19, 19 20 million, 20 million. Yeah. Is, and is insane by today's standards, isn't it? But when there were fewer yeah. channels, these there shows were, were huge. They were, yeah, absolutely. And these shows, or sorry, this show particularly, was a, 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 in everybody's schedule. And oh, people, yeah, yeah. The country well, would you end up, you end up being, you know, I, I was probably more Cindy than I was myself, I think. And it was... Um, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it for the first year or so. And then I left after a couple of years, I think two years, and decided to go out and do other things. And then after about, I think, two years or so, I went back because they made me an offer I couldn't refuse. I did, you know, some telly, some theatre, and I was still quite young. And I thought, oh, I'll go back. And then I had some brilliant storylines. I mean, always amazing storylines. And um, it was always funny because I remember when I was there, everyone always used to go to the back of the, the script to see if they got a dum-dum, you know, an end of episodes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was always great to get one of those. And I had a lot of those. I was very lucky. Um, <laughs> but in all, I stayed um, for about 10 years, I think. And, it, you know, there were good times and there were bad times. And I think, I think maybe I was slightly older than a lot of people who went in. And I did often feel a bit sorry for the younger ones who went in. And I think it's quite hard to handle that amount of fame um, when you're just not used to it. It sounds like you went in at a good time because as you said, you'd done a few years acting in various TV things. Yeah. You'd also and, spent and, a year or two as a musician or a singer, hadn't you? Yes, yeah, so, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, I'd been in a pop band when I was sort of 18 to for about 18 months. So I'd had 
and I'd been on TV and I'd toured the country and and, and I think also you know in that that word celebrity wasn't really around that much I mean we did it you know I became I wanted to act and, and, and I didn't become an actor because I wanted to be rich or mm. famous I just loved doing it you know and, yeah. and I would we would all do jobs for no money because we wanted you know I did a lot of um, fringe theatre my first ever job was at the Gate Theatre when I think when I when I was 18 I think I got about 20 pounds a week for doing that um, for the love of art you know and um, and I think it was just very different in those days. And suddenly, you know, there were no soap magazines. There were no soap, there were no soap awards. There were no, and, and I think EastEnders was really, it was sort of really gritty and, and tackled social issues. You know, it, it talked about HIV when nobody else was talking about it. You know, EastEnders had the first gay kiss. You know, it was quite groundbreaking, I think, in its day. Um, so, so I was really proud to, to be part of it. But like anything, you, you know, as an actor, you want to, for me anyway, I wanted to move on. And I still see myself as a, as a, a jobbing actor, really. And I get a bit scared if I stay somewhere too long, which in some ways is probably bad. And, um, but, but I'm, you know, I, and I'm still really ambitious and I still love doing what I do, um, thankfully. I mean, it's yeah. certainly harder as a woman when you get older. Um, but I still love doing it. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, after EastEnders, the, you had a lot of TV roles. There's some really chunky, substantial TV dramas and yeah. things, weren't there? Uh, and then Coronation Street for a few years as well. Um, but you seem to have gone into theatre to a certain extent. Um, is, it, is this yeah, looking, I, about looking for roles? Yes, I think it is. I think, especially when I did... Um, after I'd done Corrie and I, I felt like I needed to step back a bit and do some more theatre. I did a couple of musicals. Um, I did a play at the Hampstead Theatre, uh, which was great because I was becoming a bit more, you know, it was coming local. I did a play, I've done a couple of plays at the park. I produced my own play at the park and had a play commissioned uh, for myself. It was a two-hander. I was really proud of that. I produced that. Um, I produced a film um, and I was in it as well. Um, not just me, obviously. I'm not that much of a narcissist, but, <laughs> um, but I think it's, um, yeah, it was, it, it was wanting to take back a bit of control of my life. I just felt mm. a bit that I'd, yeah, I just, I just wanted to sort of, you can almost, you know, and going from, even though there was a gap of about 22 years, you know, between EastEnders and Coronation Street, suddenly after Coronation Street, I was a soap star again. <laughs> and I felt yeah. like I'd worked so hard to get away from that tag and suddenly it was back again you know and I think we everyone likes to label you don't they and and, and that's fair enough I, I understand that but I just felt I had to go out and sort of prove myself again which sometimes is really um a bit exhausting <laughs> yeah it is and it's it's a what's a pressure in, in all kinds of careers isn't it and but especially yeah. on some high profile but um I suppose the other thing is you, you said before um finding good roles for, for women um, of when you're not a, in your 20s anymore, for example, yeah, is difficult. It, it's, it's, um, I'm, it, I'm gonna, sorry, I'm gonna take this over here, Andre, because I've suddenly realized my battery is going. I'm gonna take it over here. Just <laughs> let me know if you can still see me. This, this um, is live podcast action here. Oh this, my God. This is what it's all I about. I realize, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I've just seen most of Michelle's front room there and there's a lovely painting in the background now. Oh my god. Um nor actually my phone normally my phone always gone goes on when I'm in the middle of a zoom <laughs> and it's like people keep bringing you back and you go go away. Um yeah, I think um 
I, you know, I suppose because I was so, uh, I mean, I don't think a day goes by in when people don't recognize me as Cindy. Uh, um, and can, for me, I think all the things I've done, it's just so bizarre. That is the power of soap, I suppose. Even, you know, not even as much as Corrie. And I was in, I think I left Corrie, what, six, seven years ago. I don't know. And, and I know a lot of people would think, particularly younger actors, oh, you're lucky. You should be lucky that, you know, you've done all that and you're recognised. But actually, no, because most actors don't want to be recognised for the same thing. You know, I'm sure Daniel Craig, when he, when he leaves Bond, will want to be recognised for someone else. And he's going to find it obviously really hard because we think of him as Bond now, don't we? Well, it's, it's partly why you see Daniel Radcliffe turning up in Endgame at Old Vic, because yeah. he wants to say, look, I'm an actor. I'm not just exactly, Harry Potter. And I'm, sure I'm not Harry Potter at all. No, Daniel Radcliffe does not probably need to work ever again, but he wants to True. prove himself. And I think that's really admirable, actually. And I think most actors do. And But also, you know what, I'm not... I totally get it that people want a quiet... They want an easier life. They've got families. They want to stay in a long-running thing. And that's fine, you know. And, um, and, and you just have to do what... I mean, sometimes you make the wrong decisions. We all make the wrong decisions, don't we, I think. And I don't know many actors that have a long-term plan. It doesn't all doesn't really happen like that, I don't think. Um, but but no, it's certainly not easy being a woman of a certain age. But I think you have to be very proactive. And I always say, gone are the days when you sit at home and wait for your agent, however however good your agent may be. Absolutely. You have to constantly do things. And you know, I've optioned the book, and I've got that's um we've got a writer on board i joined forces with charlie hansen who does after works all ricky Shvaze's things and janice's pictures i'm doing something with them i've also got some i've got about three or four projects on the go and you have to you really have to um and, i suppose yeah, and you don't you don't sorry god um no, go on, you go. Otherwise, I'll <laughs> well, I was, I was, I was going to say, obviously, you don't always know which project's going to come off, so you need to push every, not every direction. But then on top of that, there's also social media, which is kind of expected to keep your profile, to keep yourself um, yeah, engaged. Social media. social media is a strange one, isn't it? Because, you know, six months ago, we were saying, oh, you know, it's really bad for the anxiety. You shouldn't be on it too much. Oh, no, it's really... But actually, social media has kept everyone going through this pandemic, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's been a lifeline for people, particularly people, I think, who live on their own. I mean, thankfully, I've, I, you know, I live with my partner. And, but I think a lot of my friends, because um, I also run a, which I forgot, a women in media group, um, which I've run for about four and a half, five years. And okay. I've got at the H Club, I do it every Sunday, every month. And I have a database of about 350 women. I normally have about 60 to 100, depending on the guests. And I've had Josie Rourke, um, June Sarpong, um, Sally Abbott, um, some amazing women guests. And that's really, and, I, and I'm very proud of that. But uh, so a lot of my women I still speak to, and a lot of them are on their own. And I think they found it really tough, you know. Um, so is, is that a regular... Is that a regular yeah. meeting thing? Or? It is a regular meeting, but, but sadly, I think um, the H Club's going to close down. <gasps> um, it's going to be one of those places that's going to close, um, which will be really, really sad. So um, I may try and do it somewhere else because I think it's, it's such a great, and we've been going four and a half, five years, and it's such a great networking place for women who wouldn't normally be members of a club in, in Soho. Um, but often women 
of uh, in our industry who aren't working can often feel a bit isolated and need to just communicate. It's about communicating, isn't it? And what's really, um, you know, I don't know when we're going to be able to meet again, obviously, because of social distancing. That's what's so hard for people, isn't it? And we tried to Zoom. We tried to have a meeting on Zoom, and I think, which was interesting, but I don't think people really particularly warm to it, because the whole thing about my group is it's a networking group, and it's a social group. It's a group where we can all meet together, and, you know, even if we don't talk about work, that we can all just have a natter and just touch base and, and moan about our partners at home or moan about our kids or, you know, whatever, or moan about the industry just to give us a sort of an outlet. But So I don't know what's going to happen about that, and that's going to be a bit sad, but... You know that that's the way things are going. I don't want to sound too gloomy at all, but uh, well, I think I mean obviously things are difficult for lots of people in, in the industry, but also generally, and as you say, isolation is quite a big thing. And yeah. we're going to see we're going to see how this pans out and whether things open up. I suppose the although it's going to take a while, the theatres, lots of the theatres will reopen at some point, so there there will be a a kickstart at some point. Um, yeah. The question is when and how much, I suppose. Well, I think, you know, the, the thing with theatres is, are people going to be able to afford to go to the theatre? And are people going to have the confidence to go to the theatre? Um, uh, are we going to have a vaccine? When are we going to have a vaccine? Let's let's put the the virus aside for a minute. What's mm. um, you've mentioned a few things that you've got going on. You've got an option on a book. There's a few other projects. What are the do, are there long term aims or projects that you want to get off? Is there a, a... Um, yeah? I you know I'm 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 so I do write, but I am better working with somebody. Like I've had I had a really great um, they called them writers rooms. I had a really great session on um, on Skype for about three hours in a writer's room with a producer and another writer. And we were, um, we, I, I, it was my idea. And so I got the writer and the producer together and we came up with, and we applied for um, a development fund and we've got all that off. And it was amazing how much we got together in just like three hours. And to be honest with you, if we'd gone somewhere and had a meeting, we probably wouldn't have got what we did in three hours on on a Skype meeting. Oh, that's interesting. Because yeah. it's far more intense, isn't it? You know, we would have ordered drinks, we'd have chatted for silly other things, but but it was um yeah, it was really really productive. So that's something I'm doing. I've got something else I'm doing with a writer about an an, an all girl eighties pop band who reform. I don't want to say too much because I don't think want to get the idea. Um, I've got so I've got the book. I I optioned a book that half. Is Sorry, the is the AC's band a stage idea or is it a you think? No, no, it's a TV, and oh, it's great. not it's not autobiographical. In any way. <laughs> well, maybe a little bit from experience. Uh, yeah, there yeah. must be a little bit in there. Of course, a little bit, but that that you know that was a long time ago. So, um, and I've got a sort of one woman sitcom type thing going, but you just have you know you just gotta keep doing and and keep on being productive and 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 hoping that one of these things will take off you know um and and i'm still you know so the food bank i should go back to the food bank because that's run by a friend of mine who's called um lindsay wiley and her daughter alexandra wiley um sadly um uh had died of cancer about seven years ago she went to my yeah. daughter's school and Lindsay um set up this charity called the Alexandra Wiley Tower Foundation and it was for um 
it was for families on sort of lower income in, in the North London area. And so she, during the pandemic, they've been amazing. So she's hooked up with Islington and they, um, they're based at the Ring Cross estate in um, just off of Holloway Road. In fact, where I lived when I was a kid, the Ring Cross estate. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And so that's where the base of the food bank is. So we go there and we pick up the, um, the food parcels and then we deliver all around Islington um in fact i think i'm doing one today and they're delivering to i think about i think they've gone up to about 400 parcels 450 a week which, which is a lot isn't it absolutely. and it's getting more and more but but she's an incredible woman and she's a very small charity um and i just and also there's another charity all dogs matter which is a dog charity which i support in highgate and i've got i also fostered a dog in lockdown um during peggy. lockdown yeah yeah oh, right. um and i've now adopted her she's called peggy and i've got another dog called humphrey who are both from this rescue charity so they uh, they, they, they both only know life with you around all the time or i know i time. know yeah well, ever... also, when i do theater jobs humphrey comes with me so oh, okay. um I, I suppose it won't be so easy with two but you know what I, I, <laughs> even before lockdown i was thinking of getting a second dog i mean yes that does worry me that people have got dogs during lockdown and then they go back to work and then they don't know what to do with these dogs they're also there is is that problem but but um but no um so i love that that charity i like supporting smaller charities i think that so you can see what's going on and um you know uh and and I mean, I, and they're, they're so important, aren't they? They, they? This whole thing has shown how important charities in the community are. And the Alexandra Wiley Tower Foundation is a, a great example. It's something, obviously something we've covered over the years. And Oh, um, of course you have. Yeah, they're in, Lindsay's such an incredible woman and she always sort of steps, she's always in the background and, and, but she does some amazing, amazing things. And yeah, she's, she's constantly, and her daughter used to love ice skating. So and obviously that's not going to happen every year. They used to do a Christmas show, the skating show. Yes. And uh, in fact, I think that's where I met Lindsay. I remember my daughter going skating at Ali Pallion. Hating <laughs> those skating days and having to sit in that really cold ice skating rink when how, my daughter how... was skating. And, and I love the day she went, Mom, I don't think I want to do ice skating anymore. I was like, <laughs> yes, yes, brilliant, How's, brilliant. How are your ice skating skills? Well, I used to go to the Michael Sobel Centre as a kid, as a teenager. Oh. So. I'm not bad. I'm not okay. bad, but I don't. I'm. I'm not really mad about skating anymore. I, I, well, obviously, also as an actor, you've got to be a bit careful because you don't want to go and break a leg just before you start a job. Yeah. I'm the same. I'm the same with skiing. I'm not a lover of skiing. And again, I'm so accident prone. I'd probably break my leg or something just before a job. You know. And you, is am I right saying your daughter's an actor as well? She is. Yes, but she went to Bristol University to do history and got a first and then decided to become an actor. I mean, why? Crazy girl, crazy girl. But I wonder where that came from. But yeah, <laughs> it's like she learned nothing. She learned nothing, but you know, I suppose she's got a good solid, I mean, I never went to uni. I didn't even get into drama school. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but she, I, I'm just glad that she's got a good solid degree behind her. What's interesting is I remember when I was at school and I went to my careers, um, uh, person whatever they're called teacher and she said when I told her I wanted to be an actor she told me not to be silly and to maybe become a teacher or have something else or a nurse which are great professions of course and she said to have something to fall back on I mean you can't really be a teacher or a nurse and then be an actor at the same time can you really I mean they're quite you know no. um, 
it's, it's um, not like they're going to allow but, much time on the side. No, but now, so my point is now I would say, have something to fall back on as an actor. You really need to, because that's also what worries me about what's happening now is the younger people going into the industry, how are they going to support themselves if they don't come from particularly privileged backgrounds or, you know, they don't, they, they can't work in hospitality or, you know, just ordinary, uh, ordinary um, working class kids. How, they're going to end up leaving the industry and that's what really worries me. It's going to be really tough to survive. It was something that was happening to a certain extent anyway, wasn't it? That there were so many actors or comedians or bands in, in the in the capital that uh, that it was people who could support themselves that were yeah. able to do it. So you were getting people whose parents could support them. And yeah, yeah. And it's if you don't live in London anyway, it's really, it's expensive. We all know how expensive London is and, you know, and, and it's, it's a really expensive place to be and of course all the younger people people who want to act want to be in London don't they because they think sort of you know that that's where it's at but if these smaller theatres are going to close and particularly the provincial theatres where I I started out in rep but places like Nottingham and um uh and if these places aren't going to survive then what's going to happen Southampton I mean that close I, that's why I did one of my first jobs at Southampton rep and um and I didn't go to drama school, so I needed to work in, in, in these places. So if they're gonna go, where are people gonna learn their trade? You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's gonna be interesting. Let's, you know, there is a part of me that thinks, hopefully, you know, creativity, innovation, that may come out of this. Let's hope it does. Um, you know, we're certainly not all gonna give up. And um, I may sound like I'm negative, but, I, but I'm not really. I'm just sort of saying how the situation is at the moment and it's quite difficult for people to be positive isn't it I think at this time yeah and no, I, th I think so and there's certainly a lot of creativity out there there's a lot happening and people have been creative during lockdown oh, as yeah. much as they can but we're certainly at the stage where we need government help we need where it's appropriate corporate help you know that there something's got to be done to help to help these industries um, yeah. but I'm sure things will pick up at some point yeah I you know we you hope that we'll get through this i mean i don't you know it was tough it was tough in the 70s early 80s um and we sort of got through that but then i was younger <laughs> i don't know but you know you just hope that people will and that you know will will we have learned something through this you hope we will you hope we will all come out of it better people and love and respect each other a bit more we hope so um, and maybe it, it may change things for the better when we look back in years to come who knows who knows let's hope so to some degree as you said before we, we know our neighbors names because we clap at the same time or people have got involved yes. in food aid and, and, and food yeah. banks and things it's there's a lot of positives out of it listen thank you very much for joining us okay. um, for, for for the for the podcast and all the best for the future i'm sure lots of opportunities are uh, coming up oh and, yeah, yeah yeah no I, um, I I think like I say I sound a bit but I'm I, you know I'm generally I think as an actor you have to be you know I, I think in a way we are um, more equipped because we're, we're used to being unemployed we're self-employed people we're used to not knowing where our next job is coming from whereas a lot of people who aren't in our industry are not used to that and it's probably going to be harder for them to deal with it than that it is for people like me you know sometimes there's there's that that little bit of excitement about not knowing what you're doing next <laughs> yeah no, that's part of what keeps life uh, keeps life well, exciting isn't it yeah i'm not quite
quite sure that I would have wished for this to happen, but you know, um, I'm going to sort of keep on doing what I'm doing and, and just keep on trying, you know, trying to stay positive. And, and I think also, you know what, helping other people, volunteering, all those things do help and, and that you don't become too self-indulgent sitting at home and, and feeling sorry for yourself. You know, I think just to, to be positive and get out there and well obviously as much as you can with social distancing and everything else but you know communication is is really integral at this time i think isn't it yeah absolutely great and do get in touch when you can tell us more about the reforming girl group tv project which sounds great yes i will so that was Michelle. Thank you so much to Michelle for speaking to us. It was an absolute pleasure. Uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe, like and review. It really helps us to reach more listeners. We'll be back again next week. From true crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant.